This podcast exists for the edification and benefit of the people of Noblesville Baptist Church, as well as our surrounding community. Our aim is to use this platform as an additional discipleship tool for the discussion of social, political, and theological topics in order to glorify God and grow in Christ-likeness. All right, hello and welcome to another episode of NBC After Hours. Once again, I am joined here today with Pastor Seth Lehman. Hello. And Pastor Jonathan Tapp. I don't always know what to say on this part. It's like, how'd he do? Hey, hey, (laughs) how's it going? Hello. You want to say something different every time, but it's like, I don't know. Hi, guys. (laughs) Yep. And of course, you as our host. Yes. Yes. Are the famous, if not infamous. Magnificent. AJ Uh, Walls. Jason Walls. That's That's right. right. Junior. Jason Walls Jr. That's right. And today, boy, do we have a great episode lined up for you because we are actually responding to one of your very own questions. Actually, it's going to be... Multiple multiple questions. questions. Mm -hmm. Believe it or not, we have listeners. We have a small audience. Yes. Beyond Karen, Kelsey, Elizabeth, (laughs) and Gwen. I'm still not convinced we have Kelsey. I don't know. We probably don't. We'll get it. May the Lord rebuke her for not supporting her husband (laughs) and listening well. Well, I'm just going to go ahead and kick it over to you, Seth. You've got the questions in front of you. So why don't you uh, go ahead and kick us off? Yeah. Well, this comes from a very wise listener. If he's listening to this podcast, he will know exactly who he is. And he asked the following question. I thought this was a great question. Recently, on a Sunday morning, I preached a sermon from Acts chapter 25, and we were looking at the integrity of the Apostle Paul, Mm -hmm. and kind of the theme of the preaching was that we as Christians need to mimic that same commitment to integrity. As Paul was like Jesus, so we should be like Paul, Mm -hmm. who was like Jesus. Anyhow, that was the main thrust of the preaching and the sermon And this was a really thoughtful question, and the question goes something like this. How do we handle the seemingly perfect Paul? And I think what's rooted in the question is this tension. You know, on one hand, you have Paul saying in places like 1 Corinthians 11, 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Mm -hmm. On one hand, you've got that, that strong call. He doesn't seem to be arrogant. He doesn't seem to be overconfident, but, but he seems to be saying, I am pursuing a life of full consecration, devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ, and I want you to follow me in that example. Mm-hmm. So you've got that on one hand, and then you've got other passages like 1 Timothy 1.15, where Paul is describing God's desire to save sinners, and then he says something like this, of whom I am the foremost. So on one hand, in one breath, the Apostle Paul was unashamed to say to his disciples, so to speak, he was unashamed to say, you need to follow me as I follow Christ. And then in another breath, at a different time, in a different place, in a different letter, he identifies himself as being the chief of sinners. And that's the challenge. What do we do as we go throughout the entirety of Scripture 
Sometimes people will point to Joseph. Sometimes people will point to Daniel. There seems to be a few major narrative characters in Scripture who are presented to us in such a way as as if they were almost without flaw. Mm-hmm. Very different than the presentation of Noah, or Abraham, or Moses, or David, and the list could go on and on. Mm-hmm. Peter in the New Testament. Yep. Individuals who the Bible lays very open and bear their flaws. We've got these other individuals that seem to come across as shining stars. And so I think that this particular listener, listening to the sermon, is feeling that tension that like, man, we're sitting in a passage where the innocence and integrity of Paul is put front and center for all of us to think about and all of us to be challenged by. And yet in the same breath, we recognize Paul battled his sinful nature. Paul's flesh lusted after things. Mm -hmm. There were things that Paul wanted to do that he didn't do. And there were things that Paul didn't want to do that he then did. Right. So how do we handle the seemingly perfect Paul? That's the question. Jonathan? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think it's a great question. I think that um, one thing we need to, to keep in mind, so on that passage, so I went to First Timothy 1.15, of whom I am the of whom I am the foremost Paul speaking of himself as a sinner looking at that in context this is something I notice as I look at it he says uh 1 Timothy 1:12 I thank him who has given me strength Christ Jesus our Lord because he judged me faithful appointing me to his service though formerly I was and then he goes through the list a blasphemer a persecutor insolent uh, an insolent opponent. I have received mercy, he says, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And so the point being, he is speaking of who he once was as the chief of sinners, right? He's not saying, I currently wear the jersey of the chief of sinners in my current present ministry and actions. Also imitate me as I imitate Christ. He's not saying that. He's saying, I once was this, but I have been transformed. And without shame, I I am following Christ. And I am doing what is right as I imitate Christ. And so to that extent, follow me. Imitate me. Right. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so, so. so we're not following the chief of sinners. We're following the redeemed chief of sinners as Amen. he tries to live out his new life in Christ. Absolutely. Right. But I think at the same time, it is important for all of us to remember, I believe that Paul was a very holy man. Mm-hmm. I believe that Paul was very focused in putting to death his flesh. Mm-hmm. He was trying to live out that crucified life. Mm-hmm. As we recognize that, affirm that, and are drawn to the beauty of that, we, we want to recognize that First John also applies to Paul. Mm-hmm. You know, if Paul were to say he had no sin, he would be lying. He would be deceiving himself. He would be walking in darkness, right. and the truth would not be in him. Right. And so we do, we do have to be careful as we are presented with this high, noble character. 
this very Jesus-like man, mm-hmm. that we don't fall into the trap of believing the lie of sinless perfection, mm-hmm. that Christians can ever attain a state in their sanctification this side of eternity where they no longer sin. Right. As long as that old man exists, right. until we've been glorified and given res- resurrected uh, bodies and spirits, uh, until that happens, we are going to perpetually battle against the flesh, and the flesh mm-hmm. can't produce anything good. Right. And so that's an important thing to keep in mind. But what we want to say is... Um, these are things that need to be held in tension. Mm-hmm. It is it is a true statement that we can pursue holy living. Mm-hmm. We can pursue that, and we can be optimistic that we will grow mm-hmm. and attain an increasing measure of that. And then at the same time, we want to avoid falling into the legalistic pit where we actually expect ourselves to never sin. Right. We're going to sin. Mm-hmm. I think what integrity looks like is that when we do sin, we are very committed to the high moral standard of confession, confession to God first and foremost, and confession to those that we've sinned against. Sure. So it's almost like Paul and other Christians living out a life of integrity. That integrity includes how you handle your sin because mm-hmm. you're going to sin. Right. But you can handle your sin with integrity or you can handle your sin in a very hypocritical manner. Right. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do you think we answered that first question, at least yeah. in a somewhat measured way? I, I would just add one other thing, and I think that as we are so expositionally preaching through books of the Bible, different paragraphs, especially in a narrative format, we want to we want to make sure that our we, we use language, the Charles Simeon Trust, um, uh, finding the melodic line of the passage that we're trying to preach, basically our tone matching the text that we're trying to convey, right? Um, so like in some of these narratives, we have to pay attention to why is Luke framing things up the way that he is? What contrast is he drawing? Is he pointing us back to you know, maybe he's trying to, he's showing us the similarities between Paul and Christ. No, Paul is not Christ, but Luke, it, narratively speaking, is trying to draw a similarity there. So we're not wrong to to emphasize the, the righteousness that's being written about there and highlighted. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not all we know of Paul, yeah. right? We, sometimes we can forget how important it is from Luke's perspective being led by the Spirit to establish the authority of Paul. Mm -hmm. No one questions the authority of Peter. If Mm. you've read the Gospels, you understand Peter is a big deal. He's the chief of the apostles. Mm -hmm. But then we got this outlier, Paul. He's got his own kind of sordid past. And it's very important to the narrative flow of the book of Acts, Mm -hmm. but then also to the rest of the New Testament canon, Mm -hmm. that Paul be established as being a true and accurate and authoritative representative of Jesus. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that aids that authority is presenting him with a similarly uh, in quality, structured life of integrity. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so thank you, listener, for that wonderful question. Keep them coming. Let's move on to the second question. The second question goes like this. How much extra 
biblical source material should be used and how should it be used when we interpret and apply scripture. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about extra biblical source material. So here, here would be a recent example. I was preaching again through the book of Acts. We were in Acts chapter 24. We came across a text that focuses on a government official named Felix who has a wife named Drusilla or Drusilla. And in this particular text, Acts 24, verse 24, the text says his wife, Drusilla, was Jewish. Now, as I was preaching that particular text, I brought up some extra biblical information. And what I brought up was this, that in Western textual manuscripts, and so what we're referring to here is that uh, there is no single one manuscript of the New Testament. Uh, There are hundreds upon hundreds Mm -hmm. of varying portions of Scripture that have been copied, copies of copies of copies that date all the way back to the early centuries. Mm -hmm. And of all these different manuscripts... These manuscripts have been sorted and grouped based upon their date, based upon the location in which they were discovered or believed to be utilized. And so we have some texts that are generally referred to as Western texts. And in some Western texts, there's a marginal note in Acts 24, 24. And the marginal note adds that Drusilla herself asked to see Paul and hear him speak. And then the marginal note also asks that Felix summoned Paul, and I quote, wishing to satisfy her, end quote. So here's kind of the situation. You have extra biblical material. How do you use that as you're interpreting the text? And if you guys can recall the sermon, we were talking about Actions flow from the heart. And then we went further to describe what shapes the heart. But to demonstrate that actions flow from the heart, we were looking at the actions of Felix in this passage, and we were looking at the evidence that explains why did Felix do what he did. Leading up to this portion of the text in Acts chapter 24, uh, we were told that Felix possessed an accurate understanding of the way, but he doesn't seem to be moved by it. Mm -hmm. He doesn't seem to be persuaded by it. Mm -hmm. So, so why is he keeping Paul in prison? Why is he then sending for this private meeting? Here's a man that doesn't seem to be spiritually tender. He doesn't necessarily seem to be a seeker, uh, quote unquote. Why is he doing it? does scripture provide us any insight into what's going on in his heart that would give explanation to his actions? Mm -hmm. So I look to the extra biblical material of the Western textual manuscripts, which provide us with this insight. He wanted to satisfy his wife. And so the question is, how do we use that type? Uh, It might be information that comes from a historical commentary Mm -hmm. like Josephus. It might be information that comes from uh, a good Bible 
commentary, like the Bible background commentary that gives you a little bit of insight into the culture mm-hmm. or maybe a nuance of a particular language or a brief bit of extra biographical, biographical material on a particular character that we find in one of the narratives in the book of Acts or the Gospels. Mm-hmm. How do we use that? That's the question. Let me give a beginning answer, and then Jonathan, you're up. This is basically Quiz Jonathan show. Awesome. Okay. Uh, my response would be, <laughs> how do we handle that material? We handle it carefully. Mm-hmm. That's the answer. Mm-hmm. We handle it carefully. Can you, for a moment, address for the listener, what are some of the cautions that we have to have when it comes to extra biblical material? Yeah, I mean, I would say, I think we want to, as you said, be careful with extra biblical material. I think we want to, um, we want to prioritize the text of Scripture first and foremost. Hopefully, that's obvious. Hopefully, that's obvious that we are going to champion the text of Scripture. Meaning is in the text. This is the inspired text, not the commentaries, not right. the opinions. So it really comes right. down to remembering and preaching to ourselves. there's only one inerrant source. Yes. And that's the scripture. Yes. The moment we move beyond the scripture, we're moving out of the bounds of inerrancy. Mm-hmm. We're moving beyond what is inspired, mm-hmm. and we're moving into what might be reliable mm-hmm. all the way to unreliable. Mm-hmm. But we're just moving beyond the bounds of that which comes from God and is therefore consequentially inerrant. Right. Right. So we want to be, we want to recognize we're, we're stepping out into that realm when we do access those other resources, those other materials, but we do those things. I mean, I mean, there's, there's an approach you could take that says, I don't ask anyone. (laughs) I don't ask any commentators. I don't look at any dictionaries or, um, any, anything that church history has had to say on these issues, I want it fresh, me and my Bible, period. Um, but there, in that, yes, the scriptures are inerrant, right? Infallible, um, inspired, but I'm not. And my ability to interpret and know like these historical, especially in a lot of these narratives, these historical insights make a difference. They, they help us understand. They help fill out the picture of what we're looking at in the inspired text. Mm-hmm. Because it's a, it's a historical book that we study. This Bible that we read and study and, and exegete. It happened in a context in human history. And so sometimes these other things can support our understanding. Now we want to be careful what sources we're pulling from and who were, you know, there, there, there's a whole range of commentary series and things. You want to find something that's credible and trusted, um, critiqued and, and academically, uh, rigorous, but at the same time, these things, these, these should be helps on the back end versus crutches on the front end. Right. That's helpful. You know, so like even in sermon prep, I do my best to not open that big stack of books until later in the week because I want to have thoroughly spent time with the passage, 
looked at the languages, looked at some interpretations, some translations. Um, and I know my way around those paragraphs that I'm working with. And then I can have a conversation with those other commentaries, right? Versus mm -hmm. going to them first and, and then essentially telling me how to understand the passage. Right. Um, so I think just understanding that priority and approaching those things carefully is, is always yeah. going to be wise. So we would want to say things like, as we pursue rightly dividing the word here at Noblesville Baptist Church, we want to say things like, uh, we want the meaning to come from the text. Mm -hmm. The author controls the meaning of the text. And there's a dual authorship in scripture. Mm -hmm. We've got the human penman and we've got the spirit of God. So we want to read the Bible and pay close attention to grammar. Mm -hmm. We want to read the Bible and inform ourselves as much as possible with key uh, insights that we can find from the historical context. Mm -hmm. we, we believe in a historical, grammatical. We would even want to be familiar with biblical typology. Mm -hmm. So we're historical, grammatical, typological. We, we also want to be canonical mm -hmm. and the listener might not be familiar with that term. It's the idea of reading the Bible, recognizing it's you're, you're, you're reading one book that is a collection amongst 66 books. Mm -hmm. So scripture interpreted scripture. Mm -hmm. So I want to read John, not closing my eyes and ears to what's been said from Genesis to Malachi yeah. or what is said in the other books. So we read the scripture Historically, grammatically, typologically, we read it um, canonically, and and based on what the Lord said after the resurrection, we we read with a Christ-centered hermeneutic. Mm -hmm. All of Scripture, it finds its culmination, mm -hmm. it finds its fulfillment in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Amen. So those are all the different things that are shaping us. So we want to be careful with the extra biblical material. We want to be careful of eisegeting the text. Mm -hmm. That's another $10 term. It's, it's bringing our own ideas or even our extra biblical ideas mm -hmm. to the text and forcing upon the text something that the author never intended, mm -hmm. something that is contrary to what is actually being said, something that is seeking to undermine or deconstruct the text. We, we don't want to do that. Right. Uh, we want to exegete the scriptures, mm -hmm. and that word exegesis means to draw out, yes. to, to take what is there and to bring it into full light, unpack it so that everything can be seen and digested and understood, and uh, we believe in the perpiscuity of scripture. That's another $10 term. I've racked up $30 in the last <laughs> three minutes. But the purpose beauty of the scripture is the belief that the Bible can be read and understood. Mm. And so we affirm that. We, we, we don't want to tune out church history. Mm -hmm. We don't want to tune out the writings of gifted teachers, mm -hmm. evangelists, early church fathers. We don't want to discount things that we can learn from discourse analysis, grammatical insights, all of that. Mm -hmm. we, we don't want to tune any of that out. Mm -hmm. But we do want to have an optimistic belief that the average person picking up their Bible and reading the Bible in their language should be able to find access yeah. to the main meaning of Scripture. They shouldn't, they shouldn't miss yeah. the mark yeah. at a high level.
that's been the historic understanding of the perspicuity of scripture. And so we want to affirm that too. Amen. Amen. Most of the folks we will be in the heavens with didn't go to seminary. <laughs> you could make an argument, depending on how you view church history, that most of the folks we'll be in eternity with didn't own a Bible. Yeah. Yeah. A complete mm-hmm. copy mm-hmm. of the canon of scripture that they owned in their home that they could on a daily basis peruse. Right. Like we are a blessed and privileged people. And we cannot forget that. And even in our understanding, yes, 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 yes. Pursue every ounce of detail, historical, grammatical dive in because we can, because God's given us that. But let's not, let's not raise the bar of you're not in the kingdom unless you understand some of these higher theological categories. I mean, the scripture, the scripture is inspired. Right. And that God has communicated with Mm -hmm. generations with his truth. And while we're all for rolling up our sleeves and diving, diving deep, get out the commentaries, get out the, uh, the, the, the books that will give you insights into word meanings, use all of that, right? Listen to your favorite preacher as he preaches on that particular text. We're for all of that. We want to caution folks, don't despise devotional reading of Scripture. Mm-hmm. Don't despise listening, listening to an audio Bible. Mm-hmm. I would make the case that for many centuries, most Christians didn't read the Scripture. Most Christians listened to the Scripture being read mm-hmm. in the gathered assembly. Mm-hmm. So, so don't you despise if you're out there and you're kind of an audio person mm-hmm. and you feel bad because all of the readers make you feel like you're a second rate Christian. Yep. Don't, don't you feel that way? Sure. Uh, listen mm-hmm. and glean and soak it in through your ears Amen. and, and let the word of God just keep shaping and guiding your life. Yeah. Amen. And we, not only do we have the word of God, but we can't forget about like the doctrine of illumination. The spirit of God is what, you know, in a believer is what enables them to understand the scriptures. Mm-hmm. So if you're doing your daily devotions and your daily readings, like the spirit, you're not alone. Mm-hmm. Like the spirit speaks through the word. It's not just words on a page. Mm-hmm. So the spirit will, it helps you to understand that. Mm-hmm. So we can have that, that hope. That's awesome. So it's historical, grammatical, typological, it's canonical, Christ-centered, and pneumatological, spirit-driven reading of the text. Thank you for that. All right, we've got two more questions. We're going to try to keep them all in one episode, so let's be, let's be shallow in the answer to this next question. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask the same question, but I'm going to ask it three different ways because I think it's the same question I'm just wanting the listener to know you could express this in three different ways. And here's the concept. If you have a reformed understanding of what it means to be regenerated and a reformed understanding of the order of salvation, the logical order by which God saves man, sometimes referred to with the Latin phrase order salutis, If you hold to that reformed understanding, which says the very first thing that God does is he regenerates the man. And after regeneration comes faith, repentance, 
aka conversion, and then obedience and perseverance, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. If you affirm that, I would affirm that. Jonathan, would you affirm that? I would affirm that. AJ, would you affirm that? I would. Okay. If you affirm that, can that understanding lead a person to evangelistic passivity? That's the question, right? I know you guys have an answer for this question. Mm-hmm. Let's do this mm-hmm. for young blood over here from our Padwan, from yes. our protege, yep. from our intern. Let's let him have the first crack I at like answering that. this. Mm-hmm. And then Jonathan, you'll come up and clean it up. He'll, you'll need to clean it up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the second. So let me, let me phrase the question again. So one way of phrasing the question would be this. Can the reformed order salutis lead to ev- evangelistic passivity? Here's another way of phrasing the question. Can covenantal theology lead to evangelistic passivity? Now, here's what I mean there. If you embrace and affirm the concept of the eternal covenant of grace in eternity past, the father choosing a people for the son, the son volunteering himself to redeem said people, the spirit making the eternal covenant with father and son, that he will then apply the work of redemption to those people, right? If you, if you affirm that's covenant theology, Mm -hmm. that's the eternal covenant of grace Mm -hmm. made by the Trinity in eternity past. Doesn't that naturally lead to evangelistic passivity? See how these, these questions are kind of mm-hmm. paralleling each other. Mm-hmm. There's one other way to express it. The other way to express it would be this. This is probably where most of our folks that are listening would, would identify. It's the, probably the simplest version of this question. Doesn't Calvinism lead mm-hmm. to evangelistic passivity? All right? Mm-hmm. AJ, mm-hmm. I've given you the question in three different ways, mm-hmm. but give an answer. Huh. To answer the question of can it... Can it lead to uh, evangelistic passivity? Yes. Should it? No. So, yes, like we would affirm God is sovereign whenever it comes to our election, redemption, our salvation. We affirm that. And in the same breath, we also affirm that the Great Commission, that we need to go out and actually preach the gospel to the nations and and they're commanded to obey. Mm-hmm. So do some people kind of go to the hyper-Calvinistic route and they, they can, uh, you know... Disobey Jesus? <laughs> yeah. Do some people do that? Sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. Do we? No. Do we affirm that? No. Does Do the scriptures affirm that? No. They say, go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we might chime in and say, um, we would hold to, and, and this would be part of covenantal thinking, this would be part of reformed thinking, this would be part of Calvinistic thinking, we would uh, hold to a concept called compatibilism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That in one breath we can say, God is absolutely sovereign in all things, including human salvation. Mm-hmm. And then we would say in the next breath, that sovereignty does not eliminate, nor does it flatten and trample human responsibility. 
Right. Humans mm-hmm. are genuinely responsible. That is very true. We want to mm-hmm. emphasize that to the same volume. We want to shout it as loud and as clear, the mm-hmm. genuine responsibility of man, while we also echo the complete sovereignty of God. Mm-hmm. God, we could put it this way, God ordains the end, mm-hmm. but God also ordains the means. That's right. Yeah. And we want to be faithful to proclaim both. Jonathan, what would you yeah. add? No, that's really good. We want to be faithful to proclaim both. Um, yeah, I think there. I think there can be a tendency to, um, I don't know, create false dichotomies, maybe. And I had a, I had a uh, professor used to say, "I'm allergic to false dichotomies. I just won't play." Can you explain that term? Because that's a ten dollar term. It You're is. Up, I'm it at is. thirty dollars. Yeah, I need You're to at ten dollars. Step my game up. AJ is still bankrupt. <laughs> this is true. This is true. He said spirit centered when he could have said pneumatological. pneumatological. <laughs> right? right? So you he's, missed, you he's missed a poor opportunity, man. man. He's he's AJ before Simon. <laughs> right? Four years from now, give it he'll be yep. given the ten dollar term. That's right. I'm That's probably why people like listening to AJ more than they like listening to us. <laughs> That's but, right. So so yeah, so a dichotomy basically pitting two things against each other pitting two things, two ideas against each other. Um, and it's, it's something that's common. It's easy for us to slip into, but even the, so you can, you can understand how, um, I would agree with you, AJ, to some extent you could understand if I have a conviction, if I have a biblical understanding that God is sovereign over salvation uh, he, he predestines, he calls, he, he justifies, he sanctifies. You could see how a logical conclusion might be, well, what do I, what do I have to do with any of that? Sounds like not, not a lot. So logically speaking, I mean, you could, you could go that route. Um, but what I typically tell people is we want to be thoroughly biblical in, in every aspect. So, we want to hold with within that tension of God's sovereign, I'm responsible. I see no reason, this is why I say false dichotomy, I see no reason to say God is sovereign, therefore um, I'm allowed to disobey half of my Bible that tells me to go do things. Right. Don't I don't see that as necessary or called for. <laughs> I think that's a logical, mm-hmm. I mean, because you could, you could, you could tie a, passive reaction to any theological conviction you could say well i'm a i'm a strong free willer i'm an arminian to the core um and because of that i i just don't see it being possible that all all these people are going to with their free will come to christ i just doesn't matter how much i preach so Mm -hmm. forget it i'm staying home today could you not come up with a passive conclusion yeah. Built on that theology. I think you could, probably. I don't think people entertain that possibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the, it typically goes the it, other way. Yeah. But I think you, you could make that argument. And and the idea that I want to say is that you don't you don't need to tie those results to the theology, right? Mm-hmm. If the scripture tells us I mean, so one example I had was Ephesians two. Right, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and what you once walked, following the course of this world, 
prince of the power of the air. You were dead, you were dead, you were dead. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive. So we didn't make ourselves alive. God made us alive. Then in verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. But then verse 10 hits and it says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So there's a whole bunch of stuff, good stuff for us to do actively. And Paul doesn't create any hard distinction between the first few verses and that last conclusion, right? So I think there's a there's a, a holistic way of understanding, as you said earlier, God ordains the ends as well as the means. Um, and we don't have to divide those. Right. Amen and amen. It's good. We want to say faith, which we believe is a gift of God, mm-hmm. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, mm-hmm. Philippians chapter 1. Mm-hmm. We also want to say faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Mm-hmm. So there is something, the the means help to accomplish the end. Mm-hmm. And you are a foolish parent if you do not recognize the power of proclaiming the word, mm-hmm. its relationship to the birthing of faith. Mm-hmm. If you don't recognize the power of praying for the conversion of lost souls, because no matter what your theology, Scripture reveals God to be a prayer-hearing, prayer-answering God. Yeah. And so we, we never want to let our higher-level theology undermine the plain, simple, hear-and-obey teachings of Jesus. Amen. Right? Yeah. So, so we can stand on the corner and preach to anyone Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Whether we're Arminian, Calvinistic. Mm-hmm. Why? Because that's just a plain, simple takeaway from Scripture, repeated over and over again. And we need people out there mm-hmm. proclaiming that. Why? Because we see the pattern of that all throughout the Scripture. That's right. From Noah, a preacher of righteousness, all the way to Peter, yeah, all the way to the present. Okay. That's one, that's one reason. Um, I think it's, I think it's pastor Vodibachum says, likes to say my reformed theology, my, my Calvinism actually enhances and strengthens and motivates my evangelism because I know God's going to do something with it. (laughs) It's, Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not sitting at home wondering if it worked or if I Mm -hmm. messed it up or if I should have done this or should have done that. I believe God's word does not return to him void Therefore, he's going to use it to call his own, Mm -hmm. and I can do that without shame. We could also say, in some sense, it's liberating, Mm -hmm. because the efficacy of the word proclaimed Mm -hmm. is no longer contingent upon my persuasiveness, my cleverness, my ability to manipulate. I couldn't tell you from my past how many techniques (laughs) for soul winning. I've heard, yeah. mm-hmm. which, which really, to this is my perspective, in an unhealthy manner, puts the responsibility of that person's eternal soul. It's, it's really Finneyanism, mm-hmm. Charles Finney. 
Uh, it's revivalism. Yes. It's it's the things that we as humans can do to help to to lead a person to make a decision because we're we're viewing conversion, we're viewing the work of salvation more as a decisional regeneration mm -hmm. than a sovereign work of grace, God regenerating the man, which then leads to inevitable decisions. Amen. So those are interesting things to think about. All right. This one is final one. It's got to be super quick. I mean, there's only like one person that could still be listening at this point. In the episode. <laughs> uh, we had a question that said, Hey, when are you knuckleheads going to talk about politics? When? Okay. So let me set you guys up. We'll go back to you, Jonathan on this. Oh boy. Cause, cause the answer is right here, right now. All right. <laughs> So recently, January 22nd, January 22nd was the 50th anniversary of the passing of Roe versus Wade. Now, I did not know that. I learned that like a day or two ago. Hmm. And I think this is being recorded on what? January 24th? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. So I think I may have figured out late on January 22nd hmm. that it was the 50th anniversary. Did you even know it was? I didn't know that. Yeah. Didn't I knew know before. That. You did? Yep. Okay. So... Um, so here, so here's the question. Uh, should churches speak and acknowledge what some would say is an extremely significant historical date? Hmm. Should they speak about it or should they not? If you speak about it, does that necessarily mean you're virtuous? If you didn't talk about it, hmm. does that mean that you need to repent? Because you didn't talk about it. Maybe there's a third option. Can you be like Jonathan and I? And be like, I, I didn't even know that anniversary was that day. Mm -hmm. You know, Don't expect me to talk about something I, I don't really even know. Mm -hmm. uh, and maybe that's a shame on us yeah. for not being more historically informed. Yeah. So, Jonathan, you take this question. Should churches speak out on key political issues mm -hmm. like abortion? and the right to life should they speak out yes or no yeah i mean i would say i definitely think that churches should i think that pastors of all people have uh, the highest calling and the greatest responsibility to bring god's word to bear on things that are culturally pressing these hot button issues um these things matter, and and if if we're not going to shed light on them, in light of God's truth, who is going to right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think we we definitely have a responsibility to in keeping that brief. But yeah, yeah. So as I was thinking about this question that I was going to ask you, yeah. I thought there's an even better question. Like I, I think there's merit. Like if if you're going to a church and you're never hearing this glaring moral issue, yeah that's raging in our political lives. If no one's ever talking about what God has said about abortion, mm -hmm. if no one from the pulpit is helping shepherd the people mm -hmm. to believe that it is an abomination in the sight of God, that, that it is murder, mm -hmm. that, that we should not perceive women who are aborting their children only in a victim category but we should also perceive them as a perpetrator. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. they're an accessory to murder. Mm -hmm. yep. 
we need to talk through these things and walk our people through how to think well and culturally analyze this topic mm-hmm. and compare it to the scripture. So that needs to be happening. Mm-hmm. If that's not happening, the question you need to be asking is why? Mm-hmm. Why? Mm-hmm. And you need to remember what Jesus said. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. Right. For so they spake of the false prophets who went before you. Yeah. So if you're in a place where no one will touch abortion, to me there can only be one possible answer why they don't touch it. It's too possibly divisive. Mm-hmm. And I want to push back and say, if the issue of abortion is divisive in your church, how much of your church is sheep versus how much of your church is goats? Right. right. It's something you need to really wrestle with. But even more, like just as important as are you talking about it? That's very, very important. We need to get to the next question. What are you doing about it? Mm-hmm. What are you doing about it? Yeah. Are you in any way trying to engage political leaders? Are you in any way trying to minister to these people who are going to these abortion mills and they're going to walk in and allow someone to violate their body, murder their child, and try to assuage their conscience? Are you willing to practice the ministry of presence to be there? as an alternative are you are you willing to be present and praying are you willing to be present praying and as god has gifted you preaching Mm -hmm. offering to people one final opportunity to turn and trust god helping them realize they don't have to do something that they will eternally regret right right so i think that's even beyond the question of in your church, will they talk about these issues? Politics, we're just using abortion as a test case, Mm -hmm. right? We could Mm -hmm. pick 10 other hot topic political issues. Mm -hmm. Are they willing to talk about it? But then beyond that, what are you willing to do about it? Christians need to practice what they preach. Mm -hmm. All minds agreed there? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think I think one thing um, that can tend to happen too is if we're not careful, we we either completely avoid those social topics, those political topics, whatever, um, or you know, in some cases, it, it becomes the all-consuming focus of everything that we're about, and mm-hmm. and there's no, you know, I think there's there's this is where it's. A wisdom issue in my mind this is a this is a wisdom issue as it as it comes to you know important dates that we need to celebrate throughout the year the anniversary of row or whatever it is like these things need to be addressed within reason um but we're not going to stop exegeting whole books of the bible and hearing from the lord and mm-hmm. catechizing our kids on all areas of doctrine and you know what i mean like we, we we're going to stay the course Right. But we're not going to ignore the the yeah. buildings mm-hmm. burning down around us at the same time. Yeah. Right. Our people are going out into that context six days out of the week. And so we want to address those things, yet not let those shiny objects control and dictate yeah. what we speak on constantly. We might even add that we don't want to have a shallow perspective of how we fight against this. Because mm-hmm. I would make the argument that one of the ways that you fight against the abortion culture mm-hmm. 
is that you love your wife mm. and you love children. Mm. Like, like you do nothing other than just love your wife well mm-hmm. and as God enables, have a bunch of babies Amen. and your testimony to this world, mm-hmm. your testimony is a shining light. We yeah. love children. Yep. Children are a gift of God. Mm-hmm. Children are worth the sacrifice. Children are worth the investment. Mm-hmm. Children are one of the greatest gifts that God could give. Mm-hmm. Man, mm-hmm. you live Amen. that testimony out yeah. in this current culture. People see it. People <laughs> will see it. Yeah. And that message will preach, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. You'll be called an eco-terrorist nowadays for having all Brother, these children. Brother, give oh. me the bumper sticker. <laughs> I am, if that's what an eco-terrorist means, <laughs> then I am <clears throat> the chief of eco-terrorists. Amen. That's awesome. All right. Well, I think we answered all of our questions. Amen. Somewhat, for the most part. We did. Not all bad. that yeah. we wanted. We set them up, knocked them down. I'm sure we'll be talking about politics more in a future episode. Mm, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> see how many people we want to get mad or, you know, I don't think we'll get anyone mad. Our people love the word being applied Amen. to all aspects of life. That's right. Amen. All right. Well, well that's going to do it for this episode. As always, if you have any questions, we actually answer them so email secretary at org. hit us up on you can text us you can hit us up on facebook whatever it is uh, send, a, send a carrier pigeon to aj's house <laughs> That's yes. right. however you gotta do it just do it send yeah. your question yes awesome well yeah that'll do it we'll see you guys all next time thanks for listening god bless